praise the Lord. I love the presence I feel here this morning. I love the Spirit of God that's at work in our hearts and our lives. And what I believe the Lord is preparing our hearts for revival. I know that every church says they want it. We do. But sometimes I wonder, Lord, are we prepared for it? Are we ready for it? Are we capable of it? My heart this morning is a a smorgasbord of ideas and thoughts that the Lord is dealing with me about. I confess to Brother Cobb this morning that sometimes I know where I want to get. I'm just not sure how to get there. <clears throat> Will you just let me share with you what's on my heart? I it's not necessarily a prepared message. I ask you not to judge me on eloquence because it's not going to be there today. <laughs> it's just not. All I can do is share with you what's on my heart. In Psalms 42, David is crying out for and yearning for God. It is in that scripture that we read where he says that as the heart or the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. In other words, I, I want you, God. You are my very existence. You are what I need desperately at that moment. You see, as that deer would be chased and it would begin to pant and it would begin to grow weary, and it would begin to be thirsty. The only thing that could satisfy was let me find a brook somewhere, get a little drink. David said, that's how I feel, God. I, I want you. I want your power. I want your anointing. I want your glory. I I want your magnificence. I, I want your excellence at work in my life. Not a pretty picture. Doesn't paint a beautiful, eloquent scene of the deer gently grazing. But what I see is a weary a tired, a, a distraught, and desperate deer 
that is being chased by an enemy and is having so many thoughts and so many despairs and so many things that it's just gotta it's just gotta keep moving and David said that's how I feel I just want God and in his continuing remarks he begins to explain himself he says I I feel like I thirst for God, but when am I ever going to see him appear? My tears have been my meat night and day, he goes on to say, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? In other words, you've been claiming this God of yours has power. You've been claiming Jehovah has authority. Why is he not working in your life? Why is he not taking you out of this situation? And so all around him, David has naysayers and people that are trying to convince him other than what he already knows. And he goes on to say that I pour out my soul in me. And on and on and on, he talks about the holy day. And he asks, why is my heart so disquieted? Why is my soul so disturbed within me? Why do I feel like I'm desperate and I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and I just can't seem to find the answer. But I, I want it so bad. And he said that his soul was cast down. But he went forward and he said, therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and from the Hermonites, the hill of Mizar. And then he goes on to make a, a very interesting statement. And I have spoken about this before, but it always comes to me at these moments. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All the waves and thy billows are gone over me. I began to think of a water spout and what a water spout is. When you see it over land, it's called a, a tornado, and it's very destructive, and we fear it, and we look at it, and we can only imagine its sheer destructive power. It causes people to lose their life. It causes damage, and it does a whole lot of things because there are things in its path that cannot move out of its way. I personally have never been through one of those, and I thank God for that, but I've talked to others that have, and they say it sounds like a freight train coming right through your front lawn, and it, it's overwhelming, and the pressure in the air, and, and all of those things, it's the air pressure that literally can 
blow things apart and it is destructive and it's, it's terrible. But David said that he remembers the, the beauty and the power of a water spout. And he speaks of the fact when deep calleth unto deep. And I, I began to think about that. And I began to realize that what David is saying is that when the heavenly element, that, that in the clouds, that power, that sheer force begins to whirl and it begins to cyclone out there over the water. There's a beauty and, and an awesomeness to it and we look at it and we are amazed by it. But David said there's something about the moment when the depths of the clouds touch down and get a hold of the depths of the water and we see that there's something almost magical, if you will, that takes place. The water from below mingles with the water from above, and you can't really tell where one starts and where one ends. All you know is that there is a beauty and a power and a sheer awesomeness to what is happening when the natural touches the supernatural. There's a power that's unleashed. And there's something rather wonderful that happens. David said, I long for that. David said, that's what my heart wants. I want that moment when the heavenly touches the earthly and power and glory are released in such a way that it's almost indescribable. And he said, I, I need that. At these moments in my life, we can, we can call that perhaps a moment of revival. We can call that perhaps a moment where all things just seem to come together. Have you ever had those moments in your life? It just seemed like suddenly things just fell in place. You struggled and you hurt and you battled it over and over and over again. You've been through many storms and you've been through many trials and many problems. But suddenly it seemed as though heaven dipped down and touched your natural life. And things began to change and things began to alter. And it was almost as if... You you were caught up in there and you almost could not tell the difference between the natural and the supernatural because you were caught in that element where deep calls unto deep and it is a place where wonderful, glorious, and miraculous things take place. Because what happens is there must be those points in our lives where the water spouts come in. I hunger for that. I hunger for it. You see, Jesus one time was talking to some folks and a scribe came to him and said, Lord, what is the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus, it says in Mark chapter 12, and Jesus answered him the first of all the commandments 
is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with strength, I'm sorry. And uh, this is the first commandment. In other words... Jesus pointed out that your most critical commandment, the very first one that is there, is that you establish, maintain, and hold on to a relationship with Almighty God. You have got to throw your arms sometimes around the horns of the altar and say, Jesus, it's time to solidify our relationship. I need to know you. I need to understand you. The prophet one time said, oh, that I might know him. I don't want to just hear about it. I don't just want to watch things that happen in his wake, but I want to know him. I want to understand his way of thinking. I want to be able to realize that I can look at a situation and when everybody else says it is impossible, I can stand there and say, if you'll just hold on a little bit, my Lord is going to stand in a tomb and he's going to say, Lazarus, come forth. Because that's that supernatural element. The apostle Paul told us it is a good thing to get so caught up in prayer that you just speak in tongues for all the time. He even told them, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. What was he saying? That he got the Holy Ghost all the time? That wasn't what he was referring to. He was referring to being caught up in prayer, caught up in a place where you don't even know. The Bible tells us there is a place in prayer a supernatural moment when you in the natural don't even know what to say. You can't even form the words. But he said at those moments there will be a spirit that will well up in you, the Holy Ghost, and it will begin to pray and it will begin to say things. It will begin to call out to God in ways you don't even understand. It talks about moanings and utterings that you cannot even understand what you're saying. I've been there, folks. I've laid flat on the floor. Some of you I know have too because you've told me about it. And in those moments, it was as if heaven found the way to touch the earth and you were caught up in a realm. The apostle Paul even said one time he was caught up to a place. Whether, whether it was heaven or not, he really didn't know. It was just this place somewhere up there and he was caught in between heaven and earth. You could read about it. But the Lord said that's the first commandment. And folks, I am here to tell you that you won't get past first base in your walk with God unless we have a supernatural relationship with God. Jesus told them one time when they were praying for a young boy, we prayed for him, Lord. We did everything we could. We went through all the motions, but something about that, that that we tried, it didn't work. Why couldn't we heal him? Why is it that you walk down out of the mountain and in five seconds healing comes, but we prayed all day long and we didn't feel a whip of the Spirit? He said, because this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting 
What am I saying? He said, you have not yet touched the spirit realm. You have not yet had that moment where heaven touched the earth. You tried to do it all in the earthly. You tried to do it all based on circumstances. You tried to do it all based on what you knew to be right. And you'll notice Jesus did not condemn them. He didn't rebuke them in that way. He called them a faithless generation. But he didn't tell them, don't ever do that again. What he said is if you'll take that and you'll accompany with prayer and fasting, you'll see the very same thing happen he said you gotta have both so then he went on and in his answer he said and the second is like namely this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself there is none other commandment greater than these So he added an element that it isn't just about those supernatural moments either. It is also about the moments where you just got to love one another. The Apostle Paul warned the church. He said, how good would it be if through the power that God anointed me with to heal, And I can pray over you, and in the name of Jesus, you're healed. But then because of a lack of love, division rises up between us. And I drive you right out the back door of the church. What good have I done? Why? Because there is also that side of us that we must understand. There is an earthly walk with God that matters also. That consistency, that faithfulness, that dedication that says, God, even though I may not play a part in something, I'm going to go and be there because I want to be a part of what's happening. I want to be committed to the kingdom of God, not just to those moments in my life when great things happen. You see, in in 1 Samuel, Uh, Chapter 15 and verse 22, you read the story of where Samuel came to Saul. And Saul had disobeyed God. Saul didn't follow the precepts and the outline that were given to him. It was told that you go out and you do X, Y, and Z. Well, Saul went out and he did X, Y, but somehow he overlooked Z. And he brought back the king with him. And the Bible had said that was a no-no. God told him not to do that. But he did it anyway. And then he tried to blame the people for it. Ultimately, the decision rested with Saul. He did not obey. And Saul's whole concept and Saul's whole thought was this. You didn't have to serve God in the natural as long as you could find a place of sacrifice. It was going to be all right. So I don't need necessarily to do all that God said. I don't need necessarily to obey God completely in the natural. I'll just go when it's all said and done, and I'll find a 
place to pray and me and Jesus will get our thing going on and it'll be all right. Pull your toes in. I'm about to step all over them. It didn't work. It did not work. Because we understand that the servant of God, Samuel, looked at him and said, there's something you don't understand. Hath God as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? How many of you have kids? Most of us. Either do or had. Now, you give them directions, and you say, this is what you need to do. And I'll be home at 10 o'clock this morning. I'm leaving at 8. You've got two hours. When I come home, I want those dishes done. Ever had that or said that conversation with somebody in your household? Yeah. <clears throat> you come home. And you say, that's, that, that's the only thing I want you to do. If you get that done, we'll be good. You come home and surprise, you walk in the door at 10 o'clock. And they might have vacuumed the living room. They might have done some other thing. But you walk into that kitchen And lo and behold, there are seven more glasses than there were when you left sitting there on the counter. All the dishes are still sitting there. They're all, and they're not done, but they want to show up and say, but I vacuumed the floor. But that's not what I told you to do. I told you to do the dishes. But, but, but. As my father used to say, there's no buts about it except yours, and then I won't go into all that. He said that, you know, you, you didn't do what I said. And you can, you can do all of these other things, and they might all look good, but maybe, maybe Mama had a specific reason for wanting the dishes done. Maybe you didn't know it, but Mama had already gotten up at midnight and vacuumed the floor in the front room, and it didn't really need done. What Mama needed done was the dishes. That's why she told you to do it. And you get home, and it's not done. Now, after doing that a few times, (coughs) they say, I'm sorry. What do you do? You look at them and say, no, you're not. You knew exactly what you were supposed to do. You just chose not to do it. Why? You see, there is that natural side to living for God as well as that supernatural. I I remember... In Bible school, 
we graduated, my wife and I both, from Apostolic Bible Institute up in St. Paul, Minnesota. Those of you that have been in the church for a while, you may have heard of it. But anyway, uh, we were there. And I remember in our classes, there were some people that were what I used to call uber-spiritual. Man, everything had a spiritual element to it. <clears throat> I had one, we had a prayer night one night. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but we had a prayer night one night. And uh, he got up and he just said, I want you guys to know that when all of the lightweights get out of here, we're going to get down to some serious praying. So hang around if you really want to know how to pray. They said that. And I'm thinking, well, pff, I'm gone, you know, because I'm not that uber spiritual. And he really did. Five years later, he got a divorce. His wife divorced him because of infidelity. He had that supernatural connection in his life, but he never learned how to live for God in the natural. Folks, Jesus said you got to have both. I knew a, another one in the same Bible school. <clears throat> one day, the headmaster of the school got a call from the company he worked for. And they said, could you please talk to so-and-so? Because once again, he just did not show up for work. And once again, he did not call. We don't know where he is. And they had a relationship with the college, and they would hire some of these folks. And this happened to be one of what was considered to be one of the most promising young men in the college when it came to preaching and it came to reaching out and doing the wonderful things of the gospel. And the headmaster of the school told him, fire him. <laughs> you wouldn't have expected that. But he said, just fire him. Go ahead. Because we've talked to him, and it doesn't seem to do any good, so just fire him. And so they went looking for him, and sure enough, they found him once again in the prayer room. Now, listen, this is no discrediting to prayer, but this is just to let us understand that there is another side to living for God. His boss now said, I'm not sure that I want to hire anybody else from your college. In other words, I, 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 the, the employment of future individuals now hangs in the balance because this young man, although he might have a fantastic walk with God and he might be able to do these wonderful things, he's never learned to walk in the natural and let the spiritual and the natural coincide now that may seem unusual for a preacher to say but I am telling you there's a reason for it because more times than not when people concentrate only on the spiritual and never on the natural, realizing that there is a, a place where the rubber meets the road and you've just got to learn to walk with God they end up down the road somewhere paying for it. 
Because they go through a trial, they go through a problem, there's something that crops up in their life, and they don't know how to handle it. Because sometimes God looks on in the spiritual, and he says, you know what, it's going to be all right, I think I'm just going to let you have this one. And it may not be that he's not going to come in like Superman and change the situation. You're going to have to fight your way through it. You're going to have a battle you have to go through. And if we are always and forever being supernaturally delivered from certain things, we will never grow strong in the natural. Does that make sense? So there's a balance. And when we find that balance in our lives, and I am here to tell you that preachers are not immune to this. So I'm preaching to myself too. I remember a story. You okay? I'm trying not to go too long, but this is on my heart. Moses. Everybody know who Moses is? Greatest prophets up to that time. You know who Moses is. They needed water. Well, so I'll tell you what. Bring the elders together. Smite that rock over there and you'll drink. Woohoo! Yes. All right. Call them together. Hit the rock. Boom. Water came out. Everybody drank. Everybody danced and shouted, whoa, what a wonderful time it was. Why? Because God had intervened, and in that moment, the heavenlies touched the earthly, and a miracle was performed. Okay? Later, it happened again. Lord, we need water. God said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out there, and Moses, what I want you to do this time is speak to the rock. Whoa, wait, That's not the way we did it last time, Lord. Last time you had me hit the rock with my rod. And this time you just want me to speak to it? But that's what God said. That earthly demonstration became very critical at that moment. Moses went out there, and although he had just come from a Heavenly, supernatural encounter with God. He walked up to that rock. And he hit it with his cane. Even though God said, speak to it. Guess what? Didn't work. So you know what he did? He hit it again. It's interesting to me that the Bible says the second time he hit it twice. I kind of believe the first time it just says he hit it as if he hit it just once. I kind of believe that God was trying to give him a chance there to change. After I hit it the first time and it didn't happen, I I would have hoped maybe God was looking down and thinking, you know, I'm going to give you, I'm not going to do anything. I I want you to do what I've asked you to do. And so I'm not going to respond when you hit it with this time. But Moses in his stubbornness, Moses in his uh, whatever the thoughts were going through his mind, 
He decided, well, this is how it's going to work. If it don't work this way, it ain't going to work. So he hit it a second time. That time, I believe, for the sake of the people, God honored that. Because they needed water. Sometimes things don't happen because of us. They happen in spite of us. And they still had their shout. They still had their dance. They still were thankful. And they saw a miracle from God. But little did they know, nor did they understand, that God looked at Moses and said, Moses, I love you. But because you failed to do it according to my command and according to my instructions, forget that I honored it anyway. Forget that I let the water flow anyway. Forget that I still provided the needs of Israel anyway. There is still going to be a price to pay in your life because you missed it. You did it your way and not my way. And therefore, when the children of Israel come to Canaan's land, you are not going to be able to go in yourself. You're going to have to send everybody else you could stand and watch you could look over the valley for the battle you could do all of those things but you will never again step foot in Canaan's land because in the natural you did not obey according to the way the word of God came to you you see and this whole time there was a supernatural power that just seemed to manifest itself in Moses' life. But because of this one area that he failed to live up to the natural side of things, it cost him down the line. Now, that doesn't mean he lost heaven. It doesn't mean that he didn't because the Bible said that after he died, the Lord took him and buried him somewhere. So he still had that walk with God, but he didn't have it to its fullest. And he missed out the culmination of all of that 40 years of leading those people, the culmination of bringing them out of Egypt, the culmination of all of those supernatural events that took place in his life, the culmination of seeing the pillar of fire by night, of seeing the cloud by day, the culmination of seeing victory after victory, the culmination of seeing the waters part, and Israel walk across on dry land. The very end plan was snatched from him because he didn't do it in the natural the way the Lord had told him to do it. So my thought to us this morning as I wind this down is to understand that no spiritual experience will ever take the place of basic day-to-day -day faithfulness walking with God. It will not. 
It will never replace it. Consistently and steadily moving forward is more important than having a one-hit relationship with the supernatural. Why? Because knowing and doing are not the same thing. They are not. Even the Apostle Paul, as I bring this down and our musicians come, I know this is a pastoral moment, but we want revival, don't we? I want revival. And I am hungry to see a supernatural move of God. I am hungry to see us reach this world with the gospel. And I am hungry for the supernatural elements to manifest themselves in our midst. And I believe they will. And I believe they do. And I believe that we are quite capable of that. But the Apostle Paul warned them in the book of 1 Corinthians. He said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity or love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, I make a lot of noise, but at the end of the day, I accomplish nothing. Wow. Wow. I wonder if the Apostle Paul was frustrated at times, and that's where this came from. He said, I... You can talk in tongues until the cows come home. But unless you do something with it, all you've done is talk in tongues and had a supernatural moment, but it never changed you. He told them in 1 Corinthians that some were puffed up as though the apostle would never come to them. And they were making grand statements. But he told them this, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will. And I will know, not the speech of them, but the power. (laughs) I'm going to find out if all this tongue talking has done any good. I'm going to find out if all this great preaching has done any good. I want to find out if all the the grand statements that they have made and all of the promises and commitments and all of the things that I'm going to find out if in the end heaven truly touched the natural or was it just all cloud Was it just all statements? Was it just all experience? Oh, I want that experience. Do not get me wrong. I love dancing and shouting. I love running the aisles. I know that I'm a little conservative, but every now and again I do cut loose. Every now and again I do dance. I don't know how to do the worldly dance, but I know how to do Jesus dancing. 
But the dance does me no good if it's only a one-hit wonder. And when I walk out the back door, I have seen it time and time and time again. I have watched backsliders come back to God, weep and cry and beg forgiveness at an altar and receive it. But then a month later, they're right out there doing the same thing they, came, they, they just got delivered from. That pains me. That hurts. And I don't want our church to fall into that trap. I believe that we are on a precipice of a powerful and glorious move of God. We need prayer warriors that will find an altar and will throw down their face on the ground and will lift up each other in prayer and lift up this community in prayer and will lift up and seek the wonderful, powerful, glorious moves of God. But we also have got to be people that are faithful and committed and are dedicated to the things of God and the house of God and the work of God and we have got to realize that all of the prayer and all of the other things do absolutely no good for anybody else unless I can reach them with the gospel I can tell them of my experience unless I introduce them to Jesus Christ for themselves. What good have I done? So I want you to stand to your feet right now if you would. I want to read to you what I consider to be the most ominous of scriptures. It, 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 it always checks me. It says this in the book of 2 Timothy. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form godliness and that's important but denying the power thereof that's an ominous warning for the church because when it all comes down to it, and when it all is said and done, the bottom line of the reason the church 
even exists. We call ourselves the bride of Christ. We call ourselves the anointed ones. The Bible says we will be kings and priests with him. But in that meantime, we are the set ones. We are the chosen ones. We are the ones that he has called forth and said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are the ones that he has called to holiness, to righteousness. We are the peacemakers. We are the ones that have been called to be prayer warriors. But take that prayer warrior power and get it outside of the church. Get it outside of this building and take it with us as we reach out into the world and share the gospel. That's why I think it's so important to be in the house of God. That's why I think it's important to be committed to the things that we do and God has called us to do because that often, well, they won't miss me if I'm there tonight. What if tonight is just the night? God has something miraculous planned for your life. And because there's some TV show that you want to watch, you let a hangnail keep you out of church. Moses didn't think that what he did was important either. But ultimately it had an effect on his life. Church, God is calling us into a new level. We've got a building next door that we're working on. We've got to fill this one up. But it's going to take people that are committed, both naturally and spiritually. You cannot just do one, and you cannot neglect the other. They both must be. I'm I, I want you to know I'm, I'm truly thankful for people who are here every service, uh, and we need that. But I want you to be here every service, and I want you to have a supernatural walk with God on top of it. I'm thankful for prayer warriors that know how to get a hold of the thrones of the altar. And I want you to know that is so very, very important. But when you let go of the thrones of the altar and praying is done, you've got to get out there and be faithful and do the work of God. Because it is when those two meet, when the heavenly and the earthly combine, that's the power demonstrated in our lives. And as they sing, I'm going to ask you if you could to gather up here at this altar. And I'm going to ask us to take a moment and commit ourselves now and before God. Father, I want to, I want to be more committed. Lord, I want to pray more. I want to fast more. We need that. Lord, I want to, I want to get caught up in the heavenlies. I want to get to that place in prayer when I can't speak, your spirit speaks for me. I want that moment where I can't express my thoughts, but your spirit prays through me and makes intercession for me. I want that experience, Lord. I also want to be faithful. I want to be committed. 
I want to love my church. I want to love my community. I want to love my family. I want to walk with you. I want to be dedicated. I want to be committed. Lord, I must have that balance in my life where the heavenly and the natural meet. For it's only there that your true power is demonstrated. Oh, hallelujah. 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 